Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good... Tuesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme with John Paul. Once again, taking your calls at 0818103103 and you can always make contact with us by text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. And don't forget, of course, our email is always open to you 24 hours a day. Uh, Cork today at c103.ie. Yesterday, I started the programme by asking people their thoughts and comments on the Late Late Show on Friday night, the first Late Late Show with uh, Patrick Keelty and we got a kind of a mixed reaction there was a lot of people who, who I agreed with me and felt yeah I thought he did quite well and uh, I'm in looking forward to seeing how the show develops but he wasn't everybody's cup of tea but you know the, the late great Gay Byrne uh, I always remember Gay Byrne used to say particularly from his radio programme point of view he reckoned for every one person that loved him there was at least five people who didn't uh, like him so you can't please all of the people all of the time but yesterday I mentioned People were wondering what was the viewership figures for the first Late Late, but they weren't released until after we went off air yesterday. They weren't released until uh, lunchtime. And it's been reported that it was a record-breaking number of people tuned in for Patrick Keelty's first Late Late on uh, Friday night. The peak audience was 934,000 people, so just under a million people. That was the peak audience. And then the average audience was at 830,000 uh, people and I think that I read that that was almost double what would have been for the first show last year of the first season for Ryan Tuberty but as I mentioned yesterday there was going to be the curiosity factor it's how many of those numbers now remain with the show every single Friday night uh, for the rest of the season and then the RT player had 180 158,000 uh, streams and that made it the strongest ever Late Late Show opening on the RTE uh, player. But obviously RTE have a lot of major problems going on at the moment, one of them being a funding uh, issue and especially because so many people are deciding not to renew their uh, television uh, licence and I don't know how many of our listeners listening to the programme today have, have made that decision. Uh, I'm particularly interested in hearing from people who, who always pay their television licence religiously every single year, paid their TV licence but have decided with everything that's going on in RTE have made the decision because month on month since this whole debacle broke uh, starting off with Ryan Tuberty and the hiding uh, 
publicly of how much money he was actually getting since it all broke back in, wasn't it in uh, June? Month on month, there has been a decrease in the number of people renewing or buying a TV licence for the first time. Now, there's always been a proportion of people who have never paid a TV licence. Don't know how they've managed to get away with it, but they reckon, I think it's about 20% of the country do not pay TV licence. And there will be a proportion of people in that figure who simply don't own a TV and therefore you have to have a working TV in the house in order to uh, pay your TV licence. And it is law for you to pay your TV licence. But a lot of people playing real hardball this year and saying no, until RT get their act together, they're not going to pay their TV licence. So it got discussed yesterday by the Taoiseach. We know the Taoiseach is in uh, New York for the UN uh, meeting but and there's various press conferences going on and he's obviously asked about things that are going on at home at a number of those press conferences. So he was asked about a media charge to replace the current TV licence uh, fee and he was asked yesterday if the government do decide to go ahead with this media charge would it be at a higher or a lower rate than the €160 that currently is the charge for the TV licence. He said the government needs to grasp the nettle on how both RTE, which is hemorrhaging funding through all that lost TV licence fee, and the wider media, how that will be funded into the future. And when he was asked about the media charge and would he see it, for example, being collected through revenue, similar, the very same way that the local property tax is done, that's collected through revenue. Revenue are very good at collecting charges. There's very few people not paying their local property tax. And there has been this notion that if we introduced, if the government introduced a media charge, they'd hand it over, take it away from on post and hand it over to revenue to collect instead. So when he was asked about that, he was asked, would it be at 160? Would it be less than 160? Would it be more than 160? He wouldn't give a definite answer. But what he did say was, you have to bear in mind, the TV licence hasn't increased in about 15 years. So would I take, when I heard that answer, my take was, is he hinting that whatever kind of new charge comes in, there is going to be some kind of an increase. People are already moaning about paying the 160 added to the people who are refusing to pay the 160. So if it comes in at say a charge of 200, I think there would be absolute uproar. Now he did say that there is a most fundamental decision has to be made and you know he's once again talking about uh, whether it's going to be an ongoing household charge so that every house would pay it regardless of whether you have a TV or not, whether it would remain Remain as a TV licence. You have to have a TV in the house in order to pay it. Or he's once again talking about would we look at the exchequer? Would we look at the government completely funding RTE? He said there's no perfect option here, but they're obviously all of the things that's going to be on uh, the table. He said, though, he he would have concerns about an an exchequer funded model only. So he's definitely not in favour of saying let the public purse pay for uh, everything. So there will be some kind of a uh, charge. And of course, if they go down that route of having a household charge, uh, they will definitely... And, and even leave it at 160 euro, they definitely will get in more money because if they left revenue collected and if every single household uh, paid for it, then certainly more money would come into the pot. The argument has always been if every household was paying the charge, 
then they could afford to have it at less than 160 euro. You wouldn't have to have it so much because you would be making more money out of it. So only time will tell what way they are going to go on it. But certainly the Taoiseach yesterday wouldn't say whether it will be higher than the 160 or less than the 160. But your thoughts welcomed on, on that. And are you one of those who's in that bracket that have decided, nope, not paying my TV licence this year, will wait for and I don't I don't don't actually know what happens when you register to pay a TV licence and you suddenly don't pay it, I take it you'll get reminders in the post. They can't take everybody to court, but only time will tell what exactly is going to happen with that. 0818 John Paul taking your uh, cause. And an email in that we got in late yesterday, didn't get a chance to get, get around to it from Brendan in Ladies Bridge. This is when I was talking yesterday with MEP Billy Keller and Billy Keller wants us as a country and wants the government to look at the possibility of nuclear power and us generating nuclear power in this country. He was making the point that we put a ban in place in 1999 and generating electricity through nuclear power has changed so much since 1999 and he reckons with the energy crisis that we have, not just in this country but around the world, that we need to be looking at all options when it comes to generating electricity. So he, he, more than anything, I think, just wants the debate, wants to open up the debate on it and get people talking and get people looking at nuclear power. Whereas at the moment, because it's stated in law that there is a ban, it can't even be discussed. So he wants that uh, looked at again. Anyway, Brendan in Ladies Bridge said, it's interesting that whilst Ireland has rejected nuclear power, we are engaged in the Celtic Connector project. In the project electricity will be supplied to East Cork from France when the Celtic connector is up and running. So we won't take the risks ourselves of generating nuclear power here on the island. However, we will take power generated by French nuclear power stations and let the French take the risks, bearing in mind that France has 70% of their electricity supplied by a nuclear station. Is that not worthy of comment? And I did actually put that point uh, to uh, uh, Billy Kelleher yesterday that it does seem a bit ironic. We don't want to generate nuclear power and nuclear electricity here. But yeah, Brendan is right. Uh, We'll let the French take all the risks and we'll take their electricity instead. Thank you for your email, uh, Brendan, to... Cork today at c103.ie and we are going to be talking uh, today on the programme about the amount of waste we put into our recycling bin and we're all trying to do our bit when it comes to recycling and we're all trying to be as good as possible and make sure we don't contaminate items that go into our recycling bin but it is frustrating to see how much plastic we end up having to put into the recycling bin and you're hoping that it does go to the right place and it does get recycled uh, properly and one of the discussions that we need to have is do the supermarkets need to do more so that we don't bring home so much of this plastic waste uh, with us well, Anne in Bannon Temple has sent in a really good piece uh, that says, Patricia, this really does say it all. And it's a, a little clip that uh, she's taken that uh, obviously she got online that says, a pound of sliced ham in a plastic bag, 
a loaf of bread in a plastic bag, a pint of milk in a plastic jug, a packet of napkins wrapped up in plastic, a store-made salad in a plastic tub, a plastic bottle of mayonnaise and ketchup. But then they won't give you a plastic bag to carry it home with. Why? Because the plastic bag is bad for the environment. <laughs> yeah, it does. It doesn't make sense at all. So much of the items we bring home are covered in plastic that doesn't need to be covered in plastic. So do supermarkets and shops need to do more to help us so we're not bringing home so much of this uh, plastic waste with us. Eddie, when I mentioned the television licence, says currently old age pensioners receive a free TV licence. Would it remain in place if it was the household charge collected by revenue? And if so, how would that work? I'm I'm assuming it would. I can't see them forcing uh, old age pensioners to suddenly start paying for their TV uh, licence. Again, as the Taoiseach himself said from New York, there's so much to be discussed when it comes to the TV licence and the funding of uh, RTE. Becky M. Glanmire thinks it would be wrong if everybody had to pay another tax just to fund RTE. Becky said, I have no problem funding public service broadcasting, but not under, but not, not under the current model. But even with everything over the last few months, we've still hearing of staff looking for more staff, photographers. That was the story that was with Fair City and correspondence until this overstaffing and overspending is sorted out. They cannot possibly suggest bringing in a new tax that the ordinary members of the public would have to uh, pay. And Joe Joe and Skibreen says, I was watching TV last night at the end of the programme. The announcer was telling us that RTE will be at a a particular section of the National Ploughing Championship and that they will be doing so many shows from the National Ploughing Championship. They're doing this while they're losing money and yet they're looking for more funding. Is there a need to bring entire shows to the Ploughing Championship? No, there is not. This is why I'm so opposed to the idea of a broadcasting tax as for a company that's losing money. Why are they all heading to Leash? Fine, do reports but to have big stands at the event and to be doing all these outside broadcasts I would not be happy paying a licence with this going on. I see a lot of it as misspending on behalf of uh, RTE. And hi Patricia, half the country is starving at the moment. Don't mind saying our country appears to be in chaos and and here is Leo Varadkar on about the TV licence. He'd want to look after the country and the government along uh, with him, says Tony. In fairness, in fairness, he was asked about it when he was in the UN. It was a press conference that he was doing. And obviously some of the Irish, uh, and a lot of the Irish media have gone over to the UN to follow Leo Varadkar. Miguel Martin is there. Eamon Ryan is there. And Stephen Donnelly is there in this various press conference every day and the Irish media will always bring up some items that are from home. So in fairness, that's why it was mentioned yesterday. Now, the heart of Cork City will be reserved for bikes, buses and pedestrians next Saturday afternoon when the city centre will host a car-free day. Joe O'Shea is editor of Cork Bio and he says the day will delight many, but it may also cause outrage to some. And Joe O'Shea joins me this morning. Good morning to Joe. Good morning. And you're very welcome to the programme. Now, I suppose logistics first. Which streets will be closed and what's the duration of the time? Okay, well, it starts at 12 noon until 6.30pm. And it's basically the area bordered by uh, the South Mall across to the, the North Channel of the River. So it's sort of the top, all of Patrick Street, 
uh, the top of the Grand Parade uh, to where the um, the Washington Street corner is. Uh, so it's basically the kind of the, the that kind of heart of the city over by the Merchants Key Shopping Centre, the Paul Street Shopping Centre, Patrick Street, Corn Market Street, the Colcade, the North Main Street. So it's quite a big chunk of the city. Now, it is just car free. Buses, will taxis yeah. be allowed? Yeah, buses and taxis are allowed. Um, okay. You can go down on your bicycle, your scooter, you can walk. Uh, electric vehicles aren't allowed, interestingly. Okay. Um, but it, 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 one of the things about this is there already is, and people might be aware of it, the PANA ban, right? Yeah. The so-called PANA ban, yeah, which keeps traffic off uh, off Patrick Street, or is supposed to, during certain uh, uh, periods of the afternoon every day. Now, that hasn't been very well observed, I have to say, as somebody who you know works in the city centre every day. But it's going to be, it's kind of an extended version of that, basically. And where will the traffic go? I mean, will, this, will it have a knock-on effect mm. for other parts of the city? It, it will do, because, I mean, what you're losing there is you're definitely losing two big, um, you know, uh, uh, parking spaces. Now, you will have, there will be access to the Merchants Key Shopping Centre parking, uh, you know, multi-storey around by the bus station. Actually, you know, if you look at the kind of area, a lot of these streets have been pedestrianised or semi-pedestrianised already anyway. Mm. Now, during the pandemic, Cork City Council pedestrianised 17 streets, mostly around the Oliver Plunkett Street area. So... There's a lot. It's it's hard to drive into these streets, this, these areas at the best of times anyway. And I wouldn't really recommend it on a Saturday afternoon. So in that case, you know, if you're coming into the city, it won't make a huge difference because a lot of these kind of these, this area, a lot of it is kind of out of bounds to traffic anyway, anyway most yeah. of the time. But, but what, what they're trying to encourage people to do, isn't it? They, they still want people to come into town, but use public yeah. transport or hop on your bike. Yeah, or you use the park and ride. You yeah, know, there's a there's, there's a good park and ride, Black Ash, you can, and you can park outside the city as well. Use your bicycle. I mean, that's the thing about Cork City. It's it's not it's not it's not huge. You can walk across the city centre in Cork in twenty minutes. You can cycle across it in ten. So yeah, I mean, there's been a big push towards getting people onto bikes in the city in Cork. There's loads more new bike lanes, dedicated bike lanes. There's lots of cycling infrastructure going in. So it's you know in one respect this is this is the future for Cork City because it's it's already happening in cities all over the world and if you look at Paris for instance which is the whole center of Paris is now being pedestrianized and, and left open for mainly bike traffic and it's it's been a revolution for Paris if they can do it in a city the size of Paris we can probably we can do it, do it in, we can do it in Cork and and do you think yeah. that a lot of people in Cork this is what they want. They want more pedestrianised streets. Well, it's it's you know this will divide opinion right down the middle. There's 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 a very strong cycling kind of lobby in Cork. There's lots of people in Cork who want to see the city become more of a what they call a 15 minute city. So it means that it's way more dependent on active travel, on walking, on cycling, also on public transport. Lots of people want that. They think that's the future and it's got to be the future it's more sustainable it's more pleasant you know it'll be better for the city and then there are people and it's understandable who want to be able to drive through the city drive into the city want to be able to you know park near the 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 big shops the brown thomases or the pennies or whatever and you know take their shopping and put it in the car and that's understandable as well i think it's going to really divide opinion right down the center 
Yeah, and and I know that uh, Cork City Council, I mean, they did conduct uh, a survey and, you know, it showed that people liked this idea. But yet at the same time, the survey showed that almost 70% of people still travel to their place of work or study and they do it by car in, in and out of the city. Yeah, it's, you know, I lived abroad, I lived in Dublin and I lived in London for quite a while and I came back to Cork. And one thing that I had forgotten about Cork is how much we love our cars here, how much we don't traditionally like to walk and how much, you know, Cork people traditionally are not big cyclists either, you know. Um, The city council is that classic thing where everybody thinks, yeah, oh, no, definitely we should have a greener, more sustainable future. Oh, definitely that sounds great. Save the planet. And then you say, right, will you give up your car? Uh, No, Mm. no, thanks. Somebody else can do that. You know, so it's 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 going to take a a real change in attitudes. But the thing that I always come back to is when when we lived in London, we used to go into the city centre and to around Soho, Wardour Street and all these great city uh, streets in London. And on Saturdays, they were car free. And it was a revelation. You have people walking along the street, kids playing in the streets. You know, once you take the cars out of the heart of cities, it really does transform them. And I think if we get good weather on Saturday and if people come in and if they do some shopping and if they have a walk around, because a lot of court people don't come into the city very often, you know, from from uh, Ballancolic and Glamour and all the suburbs. If they come in and if we have good weather, I think they'd be pleasantly surprised by how how good it feels to have city streets that aren't, you know, where you're not dodging the traffic all the time. Yeah, because a lot of people will say they avoid the city because of traffic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the problem, you know, um, God, like walking down the coal cave in Corn Market Street, there's, there's just cars parked everywhere and you're yeah. jumping on and off the pavement, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Because that's... How That's the other I, thing that always strikes me about Cork people as well. They will park anywhere they can get away <laughs> with parking. <laughs> How have the business community reacted to the idea? Again, you have that division. You have the half and half. There are the kind of the more, let's say, progressively minded businesses that realise that every survey that has ever been done about pedestrianising city centre streets show that it's always, always better for business because you have more people walking, you have more people taking their time. They kind of see these places, go, oh, I'll just drop in here or I'll check that place out or I'll take my time. But there are other businesses, and again, it's understandable and you have to see their point of view, that kind of think to themselves, well, if people can't park near my business, why would they come and 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 patronise my, uh, patronize my shop, you know, or, or business, you know? So uh, it's... It's been a problem in Cork City in the past that especially people who have the older established stores in the city centre really do not want to see cars being taken out of the city centre. Okay, I can see some key people while they're welcoming the notion of a car-free city centre. People are complaining about buses. Selena said, I welcome this, but has anybody tried to get a bus on a Saturday afternoon into Cork City? I waited for 40 minutes last Saturday for a bus into Cork City from my son's house in Douglas. If you want people to use public transport, I've no problem, but please provide us with a proper public transport service. And Connor is in Wilton. He says that he uses the 214 bus route to get to work every day. Some evenings he said I can be standing there for 30 minutes waiting for a bus as the bus gets caught in traffic. Uh, So they are going to need to get more buses and more buses moving freely if they want people to, to use. So, I mean, that is an ongoing issue to having yeah. adequate and proper public transport. I think Bus Aaron has kind of left Cork as the poor relation for, for quite a long time. And it's weird as well, the system we have here where the buses run 
across the city and way out into the suburbs and even beyond the suburbs. We definitely, definitely, definitely need more buses, more services, more kind of inner ring kind of uh, services going as well, especially coming from the big kind of, you know, the, the suburban towns, which are towns. Of, I mean, the biggest town in Cork now, and I, I'm, I'm always saying this to people, the biggest town in Cork is Carrigaline. You know, it's mm. it's gone from a village in my in my lifetime. It's gone from a village to a, a the biggest town in County Cork. So we definitely because it's you can you'd be blue in the face telling people you need to give up your car, you need to cut back on your car use. But if they can't depend on the public transport to get to work, to get to where they need to go, for their kids to get to where they need to go, then they're never going to give up their cars, and they're right not to either. Okay, uh, lots of WhatsApps coming in on this. Uh, hi, I'm living in Carrick Navarre. I'd love to go to Cork City. I'd love the idea of strolling around the city centre, but we don't have a bus ser- service. We are a fi- uh, 15 minute drive, six miles ish from the city. Uh, the bus out on a Saturday morning is at 8 a.m., but it doesn't return until 6 p.m. How else can we get into Cork except to Cork? Please try and be realistic. And a couple of people are picking you up on comparing us to Paris. Uh, somebody says Paris has millions of people living in the city, just like London and Milan. All these other cities, they're trying to make us like them. Cork doesn't have enough residents to make it worthwhile. That's, and Charles and says, uh, Patricia, Joe, who you're talking about, is comparing Paris and London with Cork City. The big difference is London and Paris have great public transport systems. Yeah, that's true. I mean, listen, I, I'm somebody who lives in the city centre. I'm talking to you now from my office in the South Mallet and I'm looking at my house, right? So I, I live on Barrick Street and I love the city centre and I love living in the city centre. But Cork people t- traditionally and historically moved out of the city centre. And the only people that live around, most of the people who live around me now are not from Cork and a lot of them are not from Ireland. And that's great to see. It's a good mix in the city centre. But we need more people living in the city centre as well because it is a fantastic city. But we need people living here. And that's it. That's for me, that's the biggest challenge for Cork now over the, over, over the next 10 years to encourage people to live and make their lives back in the city centre. Um, you know, we, we definitely need better public transport as well. We're never going to have a metro system. That's a problem if you've got a city built in the middle of a river. But we definitely can have better public transport. And also one other thing, I mean, look at the improved and improving commuter rail services now going to Cove and going to Middleton. Uh, I think that's something that people maybe are not fully aware of, that it's great to take the train in as well, uh, you know, in from Cove and from Middleton, all the stations between, because that that's really frequent now, and it's a great way to get into the city. And McCartan Street is really coming up as an absolutely fantastic place. It's going to be finished by around Christmas, and it's come back to life. Great restaurants, great shops, everything, lovely public realms. So that's one part of the city, up around McCurtain Street, Coburg Street, that's definitely worth visiting. Yeah, well, actually, we took the train on Saturday night from Mallow. We were going up to meet yeah. um, some friends of ours and went up early evening. And, uh, you know, the last train back, I think, is, a, is at 11. We got the 10 o'clock uh, back. But it, that's fantastic to have that, except the big problem with Mallow was no taxis. Anyway, that's, course, a, that's yeah. a story for another day. And somebody else wants to, to point out, well, this is a great... This is Emily said this is a great, um, great good news story for Cork. You haven't mentioned carbon emissions. It will surely reduce carbon emissions in the city centre. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, again, anything that makes Cork greener, more pleasant place to be, I'm, I'm all for it. I'd love if they started building the convention centre and started building the, the hotel all, and the, jo- the joints. What? Wouldn't we all love to see <laughs> the convention centre? Let's, let's not get carried away here. No, no, no. <laughs> Listen, Joe, real pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that yeah. and thanks for joining us. Cheers, thanks. Good bye. morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Joe O'Shea, who is the editor of Cork Bio. Cork Today on C103. Yesterday, Montessori school owner Mela Finn from Mitchellstown spoke with great passion about the difficulties facing the childcare sector, especially for independent providers like herself. The problems facing the sector was raised at last week's meeting of Cork County Council. And joining me to discuss her concerns is uh, Councillor Deirdre O'Brien. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. Do you believe the uh, core funding model is simply not working, especially for the smaller independent childcare providers? Definitely, Patricia. You know, when they're showing the figures there, it seems to be more leaning towards a bigger model. But like in a rural area, we have a huge demand for this type of service. And I suppose, look, it, it has been, look, it is good in a way. It, there's a lot of money going into it, but it seems to be the way it's divvied out. And look, parents are receiving greater support, which I really am delighted with, but it's just the service cannot continue if they don't get the support. And I suppose, you know, I, I think like I look back at myself and I'd say 20 years ago, and I feel like we're going down this slippery road again, where I closed my business to come home and mind a two-year-old and a six-year-old, because I just couldn't get a babysitter. There was no service like this at the time, so I think this was a wonderful service. And I do think the passion and care expressed by the owners, as we heard from Mella yesterday, is not something they learned as a vocation. And if we don't protect this, we are going back down that slippery road of homemakers with no regulation or essential qualification, back looking after our children. So I, I just think, you know, the, the government needs to, the minister needs to step up to the mark here and, divvy, as I say, look at the funding because then, like, it is difficult being self-employed. And, you know, you know yourself, you've got the overheads, you the maintenance, continuing maintenance, you've got the capital investment. So you've all that as well. Plus you're paying yourself, which I think a lot of them at this stage aren't even taking. Well, I couldn't believe yesterday, yeah. uh, Deirdre, during my discussion with Mela, the amount of calls, texts and emails that we got in from other providers. And one of the common themes was hearing owners saying, that they're, they're not taking a wage. Some haven't taken yeah. a wage uh, for six yeah. months. One uh, woman outlined how she borrowed money from her husband in order to pay the staff wages. I mean, that yeah. model simply can't continue for those no, people. No, no, that's, that's, that, yeah, that doesn't. No, no, it doesn't add up at all. They can't keep going at that level. And I suppose, like, even they were saying to me there that they get the funding over 12-month instalments and, like, they close for the summer so really, in May, they're probably run to deficit because they probably deficit to pay all their staff. The staff go on holidays there in April, or sorry, in June, and like they're closed in June, or July, and August. So like they're waiting for the July money to probably to come in to kind of you know service before, but like it just doesn't seem to add up the whole thing really, you know. But it, they need, they just need the support. That's what I would say. Like I just think that um, okay, the bigger models are surviving and they they're managing way and they're running a good. They're going to running a good service, but you don't have the bigger model in the rural areas because yeah. you would have to the demand for. You don't them. have the numbers. You don't have no, the numbers. No. And it's, if it's, we yeah. lose more of the current childcare facilities that are in place, and we've seen, I think it was 141 closed down last year, that has a knock-on effect for all other industries, doesn't it? This is it. 
well, I'm afraid of my life that what I'm going to find is that you'll have the parents not going to, um, giving up work. So then we're going to have the job problem, which we do have at the moment. We yeah. like to say, you know, yourself there, you can hear a lot of services, you know, restaurants and different um, retailers and all that looking for staff and they can't get staff, you know. So we are going down that route if we don't look after the, the parents who, who need their children minded. And then, as I say, look after, the, the, like keep the service for, um, going. So I do think it is critical at this moment that the um, that Roger Gorman, the minister, does step up to the mark and does take their concerns on board. Do you think? Do you think he's just not listening? Do, I mean, does he not have an understanding of what is the reality out there? This is it. You see, there, it is getting lots of money. This is it, and there is probably business surviving way on it. But it's the model we like. As I say, look, it's this. It, they're small, I suppose, and they're not performing the full. It's not the full. Um, feder- it's not the full, um, what do you say, membership of the Federation. So, like, but definitely they need to get to him and explain, point it out bit by bit exactly where the issues are, you know. And that's it, like, you know, and I suppose, you know, I do find rural Ireland the best things. You know, even like the buses at the moment, school buses and parents as well saying, I'll have to go up my job here if I don't get my I know, son's I, I know, I know. You know? So and it's, and it's, it's like, predominantly, and we're not being sexist with this, it predominantly it, does fall on the mothers. You did, yeah, I was just going to say it there. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. you know. And that's my big fear here. So I think I would be saying for everyone to come out and support them. Anyone, like they're, um, let's say they're having a strike in uh, Mitchelstown, a protest in Mitchelstown on the 28th. They're going to Dublin the 26th. Unfortunately, we can't go with them. They did their municipal meeting. But I would say to everyone, and, you know, this is it, like I suppose, you know, when you're not in the sector, you may, you may not understand where, the, you know, where, it's, where, the, where they're lacking in it. And I suppose at the end of the day, it probably affects someone down the road, maybe grandchildren, you know. Yeah. So, like, it's important that every does lend an ear to this and give them the support that they need. Well, it was lovely yesterday, I think, and, and particularly from Mela, I thought it was lovely to hear from uh, people like you know, there was one lady who said 14 years ago, her daughter would have been a pupil at the Montessori school with Mela. And she said 14 years later, her daughter, who obviously now is, um, I, I take it, 17, 18, still talks about her time in the Montessori school. So people have great affinity and connections with their local Montessori schools and creches. Exactly. And that's why I've seen with the owners, like they are, they're passionate about it. Yeah. They love their job. And that's what you want. You don't, you don't learn this in education. You, you know, this is in you. And I think that's what we need to be minding these people. You okay, know, you raised it. It got raised at, uh, I believe, a full meeting of Cork County Council uh, last week. Did many other councillors agree that help is needed for this industry? Oh, definitely. There was two thirds of councillors came in supporting this. Was there? There were, yeah. Yeah, there were. yeah. And we all agreed to write to the minister. Yeah. So I'd be hoping now that it would be at dollar level at this stage when the dollar meets and goes, at least say, recommences and that it will be raised. Okay. I, I think it should be, yeah. But, and can yeah, you understand yeah. why they're going? Because I know none of them want to be out on strike next week, but can you understand why they're doing it? Oh, I do. Yeah. They have to highlight it before it's too late, definitely. Okay. Unfortunately, it has come to this for them, but definitely they have to make, uh, make people aware of that. And I suppose that is the one way is getting getting noticed, getting, getting the attention and getting people to realise where the issues are. Okay. All right, Deirdre, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you. That is uh, Councillor Deirdre O'Brien joining us. And actually, just on the whole uh, issue of childcare today, actually, uh, there's a National Day of uh, Action uh, calling for public affordable 
childcare and this is very much aimed at the budget in uh, October. It's the National Women's Council have organised it and uh, Orla O'Connor is saying that the lack of affordable childcare she says is the biggest barrier to women's uh, equality and she's kind of backing up I suppose what Deirdre was just saying that it's shown time and time again that a public model of affordable childcare is good for women, it's good for children and it's good for society so they're calling on the government today to uh, transition to a public model of childcare similar to what we have in primary and uh, secondary school and they're calling on the government for looking for a 25% cut in cost to parents uh, for the next budget in October and actually one one young mother is quoted in the papers while talking about this National Day of Action uh, today and just showing how difficult it can be for some parents to access childcare facility which then the knock-on effect is people may not be able to go back to work after having a baby or as Deirdre says you've got families who end up in a situation where they have to give up their jobs so there's a, um, a mother called Sinead Mackesy she's quoted as paper saying she's got one child and she said the joy of finding out she was pregnant she said that quickly turned into panic now when she was just 12 weeks pregnant she started looking at childcare facilities so that she could go back, you know, that she knew she'd be taking her maternity leave and that she'd be able to then go back to work. She ended up, she said, calling 12 creches in three different counties and she still couldn't get a place. Throughout her pregnancy and in the early weeks after her baby was born, she had an Excel sheet with every service name and where she was on their waiting list. And she said she started it in March of 2020 and by September of this year, 2023, on one of those waiting lists, her child is still uh, only in the 10th place on the waiting list. It's crazy. Now, what she managed to do in the end was she got a child by her through a friend of a friend of a friend and she's but she she she's highlighting her story to say this is not unique that uh, this is the childcare sector in Ireland uh, so something needs uh, to uh, be done and it's the women's council today are having that national day of action some of your comments coming into the program we were talking about the car free day which is the first to happen in Cork city and it's happening next uh, saturday so you have been warned there will be parts of the city if you are planning on heading to the city. Now they're encouraging everybody to go to the city but what they're encouraging people is like park and ride, go on public transport even though a number of people are complaining that the public transport isn't uh, adequate but they're encouraging people to go into the city and experience what it would be like to be it won't be completely pedestrianised because obviously taxis and buses and bicycles and scooters will be allowed on the streets that are going car uh, free. One listener was listening to Joe O'Shea, the editor of Cork Bio, who was outlining what are the plans for Saturday. And when he uh, reckoned that, you know, when he was talking about that, we couldn't get an underground system, obviously, in Cork because of the river running through the uh, city. Somebody has uh, suggested, have they ever looked at a monorail for Cork City instead? Could that not be a suggestion if they can't go underground, if we can't have a metro? Why can't we have a monorail? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a monorail zoom? around the city. Isha lives in Carrigaline. Thank you, by the way, for that text. Isha lives in Carrigaline. I And she says there are buses every 20 minutes passing Isha's door. But she said she wouldn't take the bus into town. The reason, she says, is we don't have enough bus corridors into the city centre from Carrigaline. She said, why would you take the bus? The bus ends up getting stuck in uh, traffic. Even though Isha has free travel, she still does not jump on the bus because she said it would take an hour for her to get 
get home from the city centre back to her home in uh, Carrigaline. Yet she can do the same journey in 20 minutes. She says most people in Carrigaline drive rather than take the bus. Why? Because it simply takes up too much time. Aaron says, why are they not allowing electric cars into the city centre if it is all about emissions? Well, it isn't only about emissions, Aaron. I mean, one of the benefits will be that emissions will be uh, reduced. Uh, But Aaron feels that, you know, if it is partly to do with reducing emissions, then surely electric cars should be uh, allowed. Also, uh, he says that the powers that be really need to up public transport if they want people to get out of their cars and to start heading into the city by bike, by walking or by public transport with no infrastructure. People have no choice but to use their car. He also feels a day like this, a car-free day in the city centre, is very anti-rural as people have no other choices. If they want to get into the city, they have to get in by a car. 0818 103 103. We were talking about childcare and childcare providers in the last hour. Councillor Declan Hurley says, as a parent who just started availing of preschool services, I stand with the many struggling childcare service providers. I recently attended a meeting in my local preschool. It was heartbreaking to hear the situation laid bare and the belief of losing this valuable service. The Minister and the government are totally blindsided as to what a magnificent service is being offered to our children by people who just love to nurture our kids. The government needs to urgently realise the value of this service and match it with sufficient additional core funding before we lose more of the many amazing providers who provide these services and they do it simply because they love the work that they do. That's from Councillor Declan Hurley. Thank you for that. Declan still getting in commentary about RTE and this is uh, by the way some people were complaining about the canned laughter that they used on the late late. I saw some people on social media complain about that as well. I have to say I didn't notice it. I will keep a look out for it next uh, Friday night. But this has all gone in with the with the Taoiseach yesterday in New York being asked about the TV licence and he's intimating could we be looking at some kind of a broadcasting charge and also will it be more than €160 Euro that the TV licence currently is and the fact he said that there hasn't been an increase in the TV licence I think he said was it 15 years to me that indicates that he is pushing for some kind of an increase Someone says, morning Patricia, when people are complaining about the high earners in RTE, what about the agency workers hired by RTE? I am sure that some of them are only paid the minimum wage. The media need to focus on these poor people's wages uh, as well. Well, in fairness, I have seen um, there are, I mean, the RTE employ a lot of people. Uh, there are a cohort who are highly paid, but they're those on the bottom rung of the ladder as well and I have seen that focused on in the media before not everyone is paid uh, you know tens of thousands of uh, euro a week or uh, a year Hi Patricia I always pay my TV uh, licence people can't get away with not paying says Mary people need to pay up you need to remember it is the law of the land if you have a TV, you must have a TV licence. Dan says regarding RTE, the cost of running this organisation is absolutely outrageous. You've got two people who are on every day and they're costing a half a million each. They're on contract, which is a huge benefit to them tax-wise. How many people would you get for a million a year plus expenses to work at the organisation, says Dan. Also, the top 100 in RTE are paid somewhere between... 100k 
and 150k and again remember they're also able to claim expenses and Dan says do you get an on-air allowance this was the one that came out last uh, week when they when Kevin Backhurst and the rest of RTE were before the Oireachtas Media Committee this on-air allowance so I know it was explained by somebody say that is a reporter and gets paid to do the job as a reporter if that person is asked them to go in and maybe cover somebody's annual leave or somebody's sick leave they get paid an additional allowance on air but the point has been made that surely under their wage packet they're getting paid anyway but no I don't get an, any expenses or any additional allowance for being on air as part of my wage packet uh, Dan. And then Joe in Bandon this is um the TV licence and somebody querying if they do bring in a broadcasting charge what about old age pensioners at the moment old age pensioners get a free TV licence and somebody is saying what would happen if they bring in a broadcasting charge would old age pensioners have to pay and I was making the point no I couldn't I couldn't foresee that happening I imagine they would still have it free but again only time would tell that led Joe in Bandon to say old age pensioners bring home more than me every single week and I work. Why should why shouldn't they pay for their TV licence? At the end of the day an old age pensioner can spend all day watching TV. I don't get a chance, says Joe. Why? Because I'm slaving away to pay for their TV licence through my taxes. This needs to change, says Joe in Abandon. So I don't know if many people would agree with uh, Joe in Abandon taking umbrage to the fact that it's the taxpayer pays for the TV licence that is free to old age pensioners. The only thing when I see comments like that, uh, Joe, I have to say, one day, please God, you will get old and you will retire and you will benefit from having a free uh, TV licence. But at the moment, you're not happy that all old age pensioners get a free TV licence. Your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103. And Olivia in Mallow is not happy with the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Micheál Martin. And I did mention this yesterday. He's pledged that Ireland will provide at least 284 million euro this year. And this is in support of food, agriculture and nutrition programmes around the world. These are to feed people in third world countries who are dying of starvation and uh, famine. Uh, Olivia objects to us as taxpayers funding that uh, money. And her main point is that she said people in this in her hometown of Mallow and she says indeed every town in Ireland there are people who are struggling to put food on the table. Why are we giving this huge amount of money in global food support when we have people suffering here at home? Um, Olivia says years ago people were out on the streets marching. Nobody seems to get out and protest anymore. We just all seem to sit back. We need to get out and protest. That's from Olivia in Mallow, not happy. And actually the Tornish announced that, Michael Martin announced that when he was over, in, in, he's over in New York at the moment uh, with the UN. 0818 103 103 and a handwritten letter. We love getting the letters to the programme as well. C103 Majestic Business Park in Mallow if you want to put pen to paper. Now I'm not going to read out this lady's name and address even though she hasn't said uh, for anonymity but, but I'm I, I won't uh, for fear because I don't know if she wants to be identified or not. But all I will say is she lives in a town in the county. And it reads, Dear Patricia, I'm living next door to what I can only describe as the neighbour from hell. A lot of things have been happening for a long time now. 
This time, he has been power washing the adjoining wall and he power washed my shed at the same time. My shed is in need of a new roof due to him constantly power washing it. Also, I got a present of some flower seeds and the power washing came over onto my property. They were just about to flower and I was left with this white stuff on them. It was some sort of cleaner he had used in his power washer. I woke up one morning a few years ago to find his trampoline in my garden. It had come over the wall. It was a windy night. He didn't have the trampoline secured properly to the ground. It was in my garden for three days. I ended up having to knock on his front door, asking him to please take his trampoline back. Also, cigarette butts are thrown around. And he was getting his chimney repaired recently and the mortar fell in and a lot of the mortar fell on my side of the house. No apology, Nothing. I've had enough of this type of bad behaviour. Other things have happened, which I won't uh, get into as it would take me pages and pages to write uh, to you. Thank you for reading my uh, letter. Interested in what other listeners have to say. Okay, uh, I wouldn't. Firstly, I don't quite think he's the neighbour from hell. He's obviously looking after his own property and he's unaware, probably, of the distress he's calling you causing to you. What I always say in circumstances like this, like it's wonderful to have good neighbours and good neighbours that you communicate with. I would suggest that you talk to your neighbour, firstly on the power washing of his wall, make him aware. Obviously, he thinks he's doing the right thing by your shed backs up onto his wall and he's power washing the roof. He probably thinks he's helping you out. Make him aware that the roof on your shed you know, isn't in great condition and that you don't want it power washed in uh, any way. And perhaps you can ask him to tell you when he's power washing so that maybe you can, I don't know if you can move plants or if those plants were actually planted in the ground or not, maybe you could cover them while the power washing is going on. The trampoline flying in over uh, a wall happens all too often, unfortunately. Even trampolines that are properly secured to the ground, if you get a very stormy night, they can end up in somebody's garden. You know, maybe waiting three days to take it back was a bit ex- was a bit excessive. And again, the mortar falling off his roof, was he aware that some of it had ended up in your garden? I always think to try and keep communication going is the best way to solve a lot of these issues. But anyway, we'll see what other listeners have, have to say. Is this neighbour being antisocial by uh, power washing and causing some debris to end up in the neighbour's garden? And, and has that happened to other people? that a trampoline has ended up over the wall in somebody else's garden and it took a knock on the door for the trampoline to be removed. Your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. C103 Jobs. A ground worker slash pipe player is wanted for Glanmire. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Now a bus escort is wanted. It's to cover sick leave starting on the 18th of October. Please apply by postmarking the envelope Bus Escort Position, Chairman, BOM, Skull Isagon Infant School, Spa Glen in Mallow. Now, the appointment is obviously subject to a Garda vetting. A part-time accounts assistant is wanted at Munster Drone Services in Mill Street. CVs and a cover letter to HR at MunsterDroneServices.com. And Butterfant Area Community Project, they have a number of CE childcare assistant positions available across North Cork. It's 19 and a half hours per week and you uh, can email admin at bacp 
www.ie.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Householders who turned detective on their own recycling bins have uncovered shocking details about the source and volume of the contents of their bin. The exercise was overseen by Voice of Irish Concern for the Environment and joining me from that group, uh, Stephen Byrne, who's Project Manager with uh, Voice. Uh, Good morning to you, Stephen. Morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me. Well, you're very welcome. You recruited 50 householders to get involved. Uh, Explain firstly, what did you ask them to do? Yeah, so as you said, we asked, we basically asked households across Ireland to become uh, citizen scientists, detectives, whatever the term you want to use, but basically to have, do a full audit of their bin. So it definitely wasn't an easy task. Um, we encouraged people to tip over the bin and literally go through every single item and document its source and its uh, material. So definitely not an easy task, and that's why we're hugely grateful for everyone who did it. But thankfully, because of it, we've gotten some really, really important statistics. Okay, go through some of the statistics and, and what you discovered and what the families discovered. Yeah, so unsurprisingly... 66% of total waste was coming from the supermarket and about 50% of total waste was plastic. Um, so these things aren't necessarily surprising. We kind of predicted this, but I think when you see it, the actual numbers and real statistics, it is it, it lays bare the truth that there is far too much waste coming into our home and far too much plastic. And plastic, again, is, is always a particular concern. Um, a report, A secondary report we referenced was that the average piece of plastic, its average lifespan for a consumer is 12 minutes. And the sad truth is plastic never really breaks down. It breaks down into microplastics and then breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces of nanoplastic um, that not only affect the environment, biodiversity, but also our own health. Uh, it's been discovered now that uh, these nanoplastics are being discovered in our waterways, our food, and even some studies have shown breast milk. So it's really wow. scary. Wow. And and yeah. su- yet, yet supermarkets, Stephen, will say, oh, you know, we're working to reduce plastics uh, and packaging. But you're obviously, from a study like this, and I know it's only a small snapshot, but you're not seeing the evidence of it. We're not seeing the evidence, no. Unfortunately, supermarkets left to their own devices, although they do implement some changes, they're often done in a piecemeal way, piecemeal way and bit by bit, and probably not ambitious enough. So what we'd like to see is that supermarkets, A, adopt strict, uh, stricter and more ambitious targets, but then also that they're going to be legislated by government. And it's to look to move away from recycling. Recycling is often seen as this fix-all solution or it's proposed as such. When it's not really, what we need to see is, first of all, a reduction of waste and reusing materials instead of this sort of single-use consumption culture where things are just used once and thrown out. Um, going back to the recycling, unfortunately, it's... The statistics for plastic packaging in Ireland are about 30% of it actually gets recycled. Um, the large majority will end up incinerated. So I think there's a problem with transparency there as well for people. I think if people knew that, they'd be shocked to find out that all the plastic they go to and paper and these other materials that they go to the effort of recycling, um, it doesn't really end up going the way they think it does. And is that because the bins ends up being contaminated? Um, that is part of the reason, but it's also, I think it's just... Ireland only has such a limited uh, recycling capacity. A lot of it actually ends up being exported. So obviously it depends by material. The softer plastics, which we're told, um, are now able to be put in the recycling bin. 
it's a funny one because they're the ones that often get incinerated the most. Um, and with plastic, it never gets fully recycled. It's, it's more of a downcycling process where it'll be turning to lower and lower grade material. So I think oftentimes it's just not worth it um, with a lot of materials to actually recycle them. So that's why we're saying, you know, get rid of these plastics. We just need, to, we need to stop using them. them. How do, Stephen, how do we compare to other EU countries when it comes to packaging waste and in particular plastic packaging waste? Yeah, so at the moment, we're actually the number one producer of plastic packaging waste in the EU wow. per capita. So, yeah, not a great statistic. And, yeah, as I said, our recycling rates of around 30%, or 28% um, are below EU average, and they're below our targets, which we need to meet by 2030. So we're not, we're not stacking up too great at the moment. But I, de- I definitely think there's room. There's, of course, there's room to improve there. Yeah, I was in uh, Spain last week and I was in getting some fruit. I couldn't get over and I was delighted to see in at least two shops that I was in that was had fruit and veg. All of it was loose, you 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 know, and, and therefore you bought just what you needed. There wasn't one single item of fruit or veg that was in plastic, whereas I came home. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Then, and I went to my own supermarket on Saturday and I couldn't get over the amount of items that was already packed in in plastic that you know bananas do not need to be packed packed in a plastic bag no they don't and it's funny like voice we have um during the summer we have interns students coming in from all sorts of countries and a lot of them have said to us it's they're, they're shocked by how much plastic packaging especially with fruit and veg we use and it studies have shown that with a lot of fruit and veg 
um, plastic packaging actually ha- makes very small difference into keeping it fresh. And then oftentimes it actually increases food waste because, as you probably know yourself, it just means you buy more than you ever really need. A pack of potatoes or bananas, you might have to buy six or seven when all you need is two or three. Yeah, and the householders who took part in your exercise, did they say that they tried to reduce plastic waste and, and other waste themselves? Is that what they were ultimately trying to do? Yeah, like I think people people who took the survey, they I, th- I think on average they were quite uh, quant- uh, conscious shoppers. But it's very difficult, you know. Um, we're often told it's it's all about individual responsibility, personal habits, but the reality is, Patricia, you know yourself, when you walk into a supermarket, all you're met with is single-use packaging and plastic. Mm. Um, there are some um, local small shops, like refill shops, that it's great to see these small businesses taking the lead. But realistically, if we're going to make, if there's going to be a difference at a national level, we need to see these systems being used in the mainstream supermarkets. Yeah. And right now, it's happening. Yeah, that it has to it has to go on into the mainstream uh, supermarket. I mean, it's next year, isn't it, that we'll have the deposit and return on the plastic bottles? I mean, is is that going to help? I think it is going to help. Um, Voice, that's another campaign that we helped to, um, or it's a system we helped to introduce the DRS system, deposit return scheme, and it will help because I suppose it's it's something that's done across Europe again. And I think adding that small deposit onto each beverage container, um, plastic bottle or uh, aluminium can it will encourage people as an incentive just to bring their stuff back so i think it'll improve collection rates um but again i think in the future we will have to move beyond recycling and start looking at um having refillable beverage containers like i think that's the way things were back in the day and it used to work um i think there is ways that we can introduce them that can work i know again looking at international examples carrefour in france have introduced this with um all sorts of mainstream consumer brands uh, having refillable drinks, refillable shampoo bottles, and it has worked. And and are we good at what goes in and doesn't go into the recycling bin? Because I know whenever we do sort of information pieces on recycling bin, we'll always get questions in and people say, oh, I'm confused what I'm meant to put in and not meant to put in. Are we getting better at that? We do know from having talked to um, different waste centres across the country, there are still issues with contamination. Um, I think always the more education we can put out there on what can and can't be recycled and that things need to be clean, dry and loose. And that is always better. But I do think there are issues with um, the transparency in the recycling industry. Even as I said that the the breakdown of what actually gets recycled versus what gets incinerated. I think the whole industry, there, there is a lack of transparency there. And I think both the consumers and the, the industry is doing the recycling themselves. Everyone could come together and uh, definitely improve transparency there. Yeah, people want to do, they really want to do the best uh, that they can. Yeah. Okay, uh, listen, Stephen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Patricia. Bye. Good morning to you. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Stephen Byrne, who is a project manager with uh, Voice. And, and, and you know, I think a lot of people would agree you'd prefer to go to the supermarket and just not bring home so much of the plastic that we're forced to bring home when we're buying uh, anything. It would be just great to be able to buy, buy more and more items loose or to be able to bring containers with you that you could fill up what you need to actually buy. And joining me for our monthly chat about insurance issues is Paul Cavanagh of uh, McCarthy Insurance. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. And today we are looking at the topic of illegal drivers on our roads with you asking the question, is it worth the risk? Now, you estimate there are hundreds of thousands of illegal drivers. Talk to me about who you're talking about here. Well, you see, uh, when you put all the stats together, 
it, it actually makes a very daunting picture altogether. Uh, for example, uh, the MIBI, which is the Motor Insurance Bureau of Ireland, who look after uninsured drivers after an, an accident, and we all pay for that, between 35 and 50 euros in each policy. That company, which is, which is self-funded by, by our payments, a non-profit-making organisation, they, in 2022, said there was 187,800 with no insurance whatsoever. Uninsured drivers. Uninsured. Now, you add to that then the Garda statistic that has come out that there are 74,000 who haven't handed up their licence after being disqualified with their 12 points. So these are people still driving around? Yes. But surely if they get stopped by the guards, the guards will know that they're licensed. Well, and, that's, and that's where I'm coming from. Uh, you will have noticed and our listeners will have noticed at the weekend there, there was an increased frequency of Garda patrols and checkpoints and, um, and, and Gatso speed vans out last weekend and in the lead up to the weekend. And I believe the amount of people that they caught is unbelievable because they now have the new equipment in those vehicles which tells them all about you. So if you have no insurance, and I think I, I, I sent you a picture of uh, two vehicles caught by the uh, the Kerry Gardaí mm. uh, and one insurance, one guy had an, a van with no insurance for seven years. My seven goodness. years. So there's, there's blatant... Uh, yeah, 2016 was the date on the, on the insurance the disc. disc. Yeah, uh, and, and then somebody else uh, um, didn't have a driving licence. Correct. And then again, I, last night I was looking at it, uh, and all those fellows are going to court, by the way. They, they just don't get penalty points. They're going straight to court, uh, which is going to have serious consequences for them uh, if they're convicted uh, from an insurance point of view. And I'll touch on that in a minute. But last night I was reading that in County Mayo, in a 100 kilometer an hour zone, there was a guy driving a vehicle at 217 kilometers per hour. Now, that's just in view of what's going on in the country, in view of the fact that there are 25 more people dead and buried than there was last year from deaths on our roads. This is frightening. This is complete and utter. And all the road safety experts will point to speed being an issue in a lot of our accidents. I know we don't always uh, get to talk about it because when obviously there's a tragedy, the focus is on the lives that are lost and, you know, you're being very considerate of the families and whatever. Uh, but behind that, there is a story and many of the stories are unfortunately linked to speed. Unfortunately, uh, and and uh, I, I'm not so sure I agree with all this thing about reducing speed limits everywhere. I'm not so sure I agree with that. So the listeners, you know, I'm not, I'm not pounding that drum at all because I think it's about individual responsibility and I know that the standard of driving when I'm out there on the road every day the standard of driving has dropped you'd want a sixth sense now when you're out there to know what is the and it's not you it's the guy in front of you or the person in front of you or the vehicle in front of you and I see him I see him in the I see him in the Jack Lynch tunnel switching lanes which is totally illegal mm. I mean, are they are the one the big bugbear with me um, seeing people glancing at their mobile phones? I mean, I'm not talking about somebody. It's bad enough to see people driving along, holding a mobile phone up to their ear and, and driving with one hand on the wheel. That's bad enough. But to actually see people and you know perhaps they're texting, or they're looking at something on their mobile phone. How can they be concentrating on the road ahead? They cannot, and and I think that's you know that's 
the Gardaí are now calling that uh, this any type of a distraction. And that is a major distraction where you're accepting texts or, or trying to make a text or trying to listen to what somebody is saying. Any, I even find when I'm going to switch to radio channel to pick you up in the morning at 10 o'clock, I find myself, you know, steady yourself because that's, that's you're, you're completing another task which is not driving. Mm. Well, so, we, we had a listener only yesterday was uh, talking about driving and was say, down at West Cork Way and uh, two horses just suddenly appeared out on the road. Now, luckily, she had her eyes on the road and she wasn't going very fast and she was able to avoid uh, them. But she was making the point that if she'd been doing any type of speed or if she was distracted in any way, it could have been a very different situation we would have been talking about yesterday. Absolutely. And, and that's coming back to the same point again. We've got to be responsible ourselves. We've got to be responsible for our vehicles and our driving. We, yes, there are complaints about the roads and the potholes and all that, but we know where these places are. So slow down. Get your tyres checked before the winter. The winter is coming on us like the weather that we're getting at the moment is changing every minute. It can be wet, it can be dry. Therefore, you don't know what condition the roads are in. Get those tyres checked wipers and service. Somebody actually said to me, and I said I was going to raise it today, Asher, I'm down for the NCT in November. We're well into the winter by the time November comes. I said, it's your responsibility to keep your vehicle in a roadworthy condition, not the NCT. The NCT is only a test. That's nothing at all got to do with it. It is is actually a condition of your insurance that you keep your vehicle in a roadworthy condition. So, sorry, that, 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 that argument is out the window, especially with all the NCTs being delayed. Yeah, and I remember last month after our last bank, our August bank holiday weekend, it was shocking to see the figures of the number of people that were arrested for drink and uh, drug driving over the bank holiday weekend. Are we slipping a little bit when it comes to drink driving or drug driving? Uh, we, we are slipping. And I think the reason we're slipping is that there was, between COVID, and I hate using the word, but between the pandemic and uh, and then after the pandemic and then a number of people not going back to work and then the Gardaí rosters changing and then there was some type of a policing type changing where we really, the amount of, of Gardaí out there checking on, on, on speed and, and, and drink driving and checkpoints seemed to have dropped back dramatically and in some cases disappeared totally. And I think, yes... We got very complacent all of a sudden and decided, you know, let's... I'll take the risk. And that seems to what have happened. Of course, the drugs thing came in in the meantime and the amount of people now being caught with drugs. I mean, there was uh, up up on the NACE dual carriageway, as I call it. Um, I'm I'm tuned into all those uh, Garda um, uh, on WhatsApp and uh, uh, they came through uh, where they caught a guy doing... He came to their attention doing 150 in 120 zone. So he's pulled in, and next thing he tests, he tests pos- positive for cannabis. Mm. I mean, can't have proper awareness um, yeah, while uh, while under the limit. Somebody is is saying, uh, what would Paul? Uh, what, what would Paul think of fitting speed limiters to all cars like they do on trucks? This is a truck driver who said we just had to get used to it. Would he like to see speed limiters on cars to reduce speed? I would thought we could be. I, I would, before I would move to that. My own personal view would be that we we should we should we need to re-educate ourselves on all of this before I would start implementing it. And yes, I, I see the point, and it's made several times. If it has to happen, it will have to happen. But we're definitely going in the wrong direction at the moment, which is. And I mean, 
complete sympathies with all the people that are dead. There's over 1,200 people in our hospitals in a serious condition, very serious condition, as a result of a road accident. I mean, we're talking about life-changing injuries. I mean, if you have had occasion to meet with anybody who was up in in Dunleary, the rehab centre in Dunleary, you know, you're talking about people completely paralysed, people losing limbs, people losing sight. And and we never really focus on the people who survive a road traffic accident. We, For obvious reasons, we focus on the person who's been killed. But there are so many people in this country with life-altering injuries. Because of a car accident? Because of a car accident and in many cases as well, Patricia, not wearing a seat belt in the back seat. That, that again, yeah, that's... They think, oh, I'm, I'm yeah. protected. You're not, you're actually in a very... There was some great adverts there that the RSA put up about accidents and showing you what happens in an accident. I think we probably have to go back to that and start re-educating people all over again and saying, let's, we've got to slow this down. I think the other point is, which has been considered by government is that they've already increased the, the, the fines for speeding and now they're, they're looking at increasing the points and doubling them up with other uh, penalty point um, incidents. So, say, for example, you were speeding holding a mobile phone, then you'd get six points, mm. whereas currently you only get three. And what, what is the point Paul is making here? It's quite simple. If you get 12 points, you are disqualified for six months and you will have serious, and this is what I wanted to come back to, you will have serious consequences on your insurance. We're dealing with these cases and they're so sad afterwards. And the person is full of remorse. I didn't mean to do this and I ran up the penalty points and then I went through a red light and all. And next thing all of a sudden they're off the road and next thing all of a sudden they're looking down the barrel of a gun. We're not talking about 500 euros for insurance. We're talking about 1,500 and 2,000 euros for insurance. Yeah. And I'm sure some of the listeners will say, ah, yeah, they, they, they deserve it. They do, but it's a real shock to the system. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, a lot of people agreeing with you, including Joe in Dunmanway says, fully agree with your guest. Our guest is uh, Paul Kavanagh of McCarthy Insurance. The level of driving is absolutely shocking at the moment. And yes, you do need to almost have a sixth sense when you're out on the road. Cars pulling out on front of you as if they don't even see, see you. You have drivers who refuse to indicate and then others that do indicate and then go on straight and said it can be insane out there. Other road users are a danger to all of us. Uh, and, and somebody else saying well done to Paul for highlighting this. The level of driving on our roads is uh, particularly shocking. Do you think it's got, it's, and, and you think it's worse than it's ever been? I do Paul? actually. Yeah. Uh, well maybe maybe not back back in the old days but but uh, in, in recent times I, it's it's abs- I, I mean, when I'm go- coming in and out of the city, uh, uh, as was was said there, you want your sixth sense. You want to yeah. be on the ball and slow. And you know what? I do slow down to the 60 kilometres below Dunkettle now. And you know what? You see so much going on here. You're going, I know I have plenty of time. And I've seen vehicles at the very last minute swerving from one lane to the other. 
and you're going, you have no right to do that. Yeah. You cannot do that. You could cause a serious... Okay, and, and Michael says, Hi Patricia, I'm listening uh, to Paul speaking on your programme, particularly about cars uh, not insured and driving standards on our roads, which are absolutely frightening. I really think with all the technology that Angarda Siakona have now, how are these people getting away with driving around, particularly the case he highlighted of seven years without insurance? Enforcement surely is the key here. All the rules in the world won't work unless people are being caught, says Michael. Well, to be, to be fair... To be fair to Angarda Shikana, there was a huge, and I, once again, the pandemic was blamed for a lot of things, but they now are getting the equipment. At least we know that uh, they have it in Cork, they have it in Kerry, uh, they have it in Limerick, in that southern region, and the people in Nace, we know that in that region there, the, the Dublin South region, they definitely have it. So there's more and more, and was it uh, the other day I spotted three unmarked vehicles chasing cars. On the motorway. So they're out there, lads, and they have this equipment. Not everybody has it yet, but it is the plan. We are 25 years, I said to John Paul, we're 25 years behind the UK. I saw a demonstration in the UK 25 years ago where they could detect you from a van one mile away. Wow. And know exactly that's, yeah. everything. And oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's what, what we need. need. That's okay. What the, the All right, you're a mine of information. I can see I'm getting flooded with texts and comments with people uh, agreeing with you and so many people on about speed and the, 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 the way people are driving at the moment. But let me just finish with Anne, who says, my dad was killed by a drunk driver. I never got to know him. I was only six months old. Myself and my twin sister were left without a father because of a drunk driver. And that's the reality of it. All right, Paul, okay. we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Thank uh, good you. morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Paul Cavanagh of McCarthy Insurance. First of the reports coming from uh, Rathaniski in County Louth, because of course 9am this morning saw the start of the three-day National Ploughing Championships. I don't know how many people from the area were heading up today because weather-wise today, certainly Met Aaron are predicting wet and windy conditions for today. So weather-wise today looks like it is the worst of the weather, even though they have rain forecast for tomorrow, Wednesday and again on uh, Thursday. Uh, Anna, Anna, Anna Marie McHugh, who we've often spoken with on the programme, she's the Assistant Managing Director of the Championship. She says that the, they are prepared for all of the weather uh, conditions to ensure that everything runs smoothly. They have, for example, 35 kilometres of steel tracking. And if you've ever been to the Ploughing Championships, you'll be aware of the steel tracking. It helps people to get around the site. It's an 800 acre site in uh, Rathaniski. And the Ploughing Championship itself got underway this morning. Michael D. Higgins actually performed the tape cutting opening ceremony and it is about ploughing as well. I know it's a great day out for the farming community but don't forget there are 320 competitors from all over the country and we wish the best to all of the local competitors who will be vying for the national uh, titles and the championships ploughing itself happens every day between half ten I think it is and half two. They've quite mucky conditions I take it for the uh, ploughing but then outside of the ploughing competitions there's over 1700 exhibitors. Now there's outdoor exhibitors but there's a whole host of indoor stands as well particularly if it does decide to uh, bucket down. Lots of talks going on. There'll be talks for example on things like climate change there'll be displays of all the big high tech uh, machinery. There's always great fashion shows uh, held at the Ploughing Championships uh, every year. And then some of the more unique events, if you are going along over the next uh, couple of days, there is a world record welly throwing 
a competition. Well, not a competition. They're trying to set a record. It's Mocker and Affirma. They're hoping to break the Guinness World Record for the largest number of people throwing a welly at the same time. And in case you're interested, the current world record stands at 792 people. And I'm sure Macro will be able to get way more than 792 people to throw uh, a welly to set that new uh, record. And visitors to the ploughing are also asked uh, to name your favourite saint. The mission is to discover the country's most loved Saint, and that's been led by Bishop Dennis Nulty of Kildare. And I don't know if that's the first for the ploughing or not. Actually, yesterday when I had Una O'Hagan join us in studio talking about her book, we ended up talking about saints that herself and her late husband, uh, Colm Keane, had written about. And we were talking about Padre Pio. I wonder will Padre Pio, will he come out high on that, on the most loved saint in Ireland? We'll, we'll try and keep an eye on that and find out. And uh, no doubt it will be made public who the people at the plough voted as their uh, favourite saint because anything up to 100,000 people a day are expected uh, to uh, attend. Uh, it's €30 Euro entry fee. The organisers are saying anyone travelling to the event you should book online because they don't want people to be disappointed if you get there on the day and all of the tickets have uh, sold out. Now if there are tickets available they will be available at the gate but they are, are asking people uh, to uh, book in advance and actually we spoke about that when those tickets first went online because it didn't go down well with everyone because for a lot of people in rural Ireland they, they will decide on the day whether they're going to go or not and if you booked for example for today and you booked not realising that today was going to be the worst day of the weather you unfortunately can't transfer your ticket to another day so a lot of people would end up, will end up going today because they booked their ticket uh, well in advance and just by the way uh, anyone who's been to the ploughing will know it's always well signposters there's always bits of delays getting in and getting out of the event but it is very very well ordered organised. But if you are travelling and travelling a good distance i.e. anybody coming from here in Cork travelling to County Leash that's a fair bit of a spin if you're going in an electric vehicle, just to let you know, there are no EV charging points on offer at the site, which really surprises me. So just to let people know, don't take the electric car. Or if you do, you need, you'll need to make sure that it gets charged on the way because you could end up trying to head home and you won't have enough charge on your uh, battery. But if you do end up going to the Ploughing Championship. Have a wonderful day out and let us know if you have a story to share from the Ploughing. We'd love to hear from you. 0818 I spoke about recycling in the last hour when we were talking with the group who are voice, who are uh, friends of the friends of the environment and trying to get us all to do our bit uh, on recycling. That got somebody thinking, saying, morning Patricia, why are we asked to separate the different colour glasses? You know when you bring your bottles to the bottle bank and they'll have a bin for brown glass, green glass and clear gla- glass. This listener is pondering on why we why we're asked to do that because the listener says I've seen the lorry coming one day to empty the bins and they all went in the recycling bin all went into the back of the lorry. They were all mixed up. There was coloured glass, uh, food cans and drink cans. I couldn't understand why we are asked to uh, recycle them at the point of the bottle banks. I don't know, but I know I'm in one of the lucky positions that I'm with the company uh, Country Clean and they offer curbside collection for our glass and we don't have to separate them. They all just go into the one bin. So I don't know what happens then when it gets to the next stage. I'd need somebody in the industry to explain that to us. Why are we asked to separate coloured glass 
at a brink centre but you're not asked if you're putting it into a recycling bin where the bins are being collected at your door. I, I don't know the answer. Perhaps somebody listening can let us know. 0818-103-103. Still getting in some calls on the Car Free Day which is planned for the city centre in Cork this Saturday. Mick in Ballinhasic, what he's worried and concerned about. Well, he thinks it's a great idea, Car Free and all of that and give it a try. Let's see how we get on. He's worried about the fact that scooters and electric scooters do not form part of the van. It's only cars will not be allowed in the middle of the city centre. Taxis will be allowed to go in as well. Buses. And I was surprised to hear Joe O'Shea of Cork Bio saying scooters will also be allowed along with pedestrians. And that is worrying Mick. Because Mick say many of the people on electric scooters fly on the footpaths, are on the roads. Many of them don't obey any rules at all. Should they not also be included in the ban? Mick and Ballon Hasek said he's already had a few near misses when it comes to somebody on an electric scooter on a footpath. There'll be a lot of people, Mick, will be nodding their heads and agreeing with you on that one. Particularly if, if we're encouraging people to be pedestrians and to be out and about on the streets in the city centre. And if you have some people who just don't obey any rules of the road and can go very fast on some of those electric scooters, we could, and hopefully we won't, but you could end up with somebody getting knocked uh, over. And then someone else is questioning and cannot understand why a commercial vehicle driver who perhaps might be doing deliveries in town, why they can't drive when it is car free and they can't drive in any of the streets that are uh, car free. But he says a taxi will be able to drive all day with or without passengers. Listener says, I'm always baffled why taxi drivers are, for example, allowed to use bus lanes. Surely people getting taxis are the worst for the environment, yet they get all the perks of being able to avail of the bus lane. So somebody saying commercial drivers should also be included. Your thoughts are welcomed on that. Hi Patricia, what about motorcyclists on our roads every day? Now this is to do with road uh, safety. We hear about people driving uh, cars, but what about motorcyclists? It's unreal out there. Uh, uh, Some of the driving in cars, people for example only looking one way at junctions, not dimming their headlights at night which end up blinding you. No matter how much additional lights you have on your bike and how much high visibility you wear. It's like you're invisible to some road users. Uh, Car drivers should be made to do a one day refresher course every two years on road safety. A little bit like motor bike motor bike users have to do before taking uh, before getting their uh, lessons. So how would people feel about that? That everybody would need to go back and do a refresher course or almost do a kind of a test every couple of years to make sure that you are up to speed with your driving habits. I'd be interested in people's thoughts on that. Uh, Jerry says on driving habits was driving on the M8 motorway just last night. Uh, Jerry said motoring long at 120 kilometres per hour, which is the speed limit. He said a truck passed him out. Where was the limiter on that truck, says Jerry? And I didn't think it was possible for a truck. Can they bypass uh, the limiter? The limiter? Jerry reckoned it happened to uh, him. Someone else says, Patricia, yes, some drivers can be extremely bad drivers out on our roads. But I believe speed vans were set up as a revenue collection 
exercise. Catching genuine drivers just a little bit over the limit. That's not dangerous driving, in my opinion, says this texter. €160 fine and three penalty points. It doesn't in any way make our roads safer. Speed vans just cause stress and financial problems for people who get caught. I agree if they were making the roads safer, but I don't believe any of these speed vans are making our roads safer would others agree? And Ger in Charleville says, you never see one of those go safe fans Aragarda on a rural road. It's pointless reducing the speed limit when it simply won't be enforced. I can drive from Charleville to Cork City every day using back roads and I guarantee you, says Ger, I'll never see a Garda out checking for speed or one of those speed vans. And Tim says, reducing speed limits will make absolutely no difference to deaths on our roads. People will still speed, whatever the limit on the road is. Driving standards have completely deteriorated and that's exactly what Paul was saying in the last hour and Tim also agrees you never see a speed van or regard the check on a minor road. And Mick in Mallow, when we spoke about uninsured drivers, Mick says the mindset for uninsured drivers is, actually there's a fund there to cover the cost if I am involved in a crash. That is the long and short of it, says uh, Mick. And again, it goes back to what a number of people said when we were talking about uninsured drivers. We need enforcement. We need these guys and gals to be caught if they are driving without insurance. And John in Mornabi said all those people who are crashing, all of them at some stage took a driving lesson. But I feel with the driving test, a lot of the test is conducted in built up areas of towns and cities and the driving test doesn't take place out on main roads. I think they need to bring more of the driving test out onto the busy main roads because at the end of the day, that is where the bulk of our accidents happen. We need to reassess how we do our driving test. 0818-103-103. And can I just very quickly bring you some reaction which I kind of thought we might get some reaction to Joe from Bandon who contacted us earlier on in the programme. This is when we were talking about TV licence and the notion that there will be, the TV licence will be replaced with the household charge where every single household, regardless of if you have a TV or not, will pay this broadcasting charge, I think some people are calling it. And that led to, I think it was Eddie contacting us saying, what about old age pensioners who at the moment get a free television licence, if they bring in, get rid of the TV licence and bring in broadcasting charge, will old age pensioners get the free broadcasting charge? My guess was that they would. But that led Joe in Bandon to say that uh, old age pensioners bring home more than Joe brings home every week. And Joe works. Uh, and Joe says, why should they, why should we pay? Why shouldn't they pay for their TV licence? They spend all day watching TV I don't get a chance to sit and watch TV all day, says Joe, because I'm slaving away to pay their TV licence through my taxes. This needs to change. That came in from Joe in Bandon. Well, Eileen in Bear Island, who is an old age pensioner, would like to tell Joe that she doesn't spend all day watching TV. I've worked all my life, says Eileen. I paid all of my taxes. So I think when you reach a certain age, You have entitlements as an old age pensioner. Someday, Joe must remember he will be old. Someday, uh, someone will be giving out about him and he'll probably be saying the same thing that Eileen is saying today. Eileen says she doesn't sit watching TV, TV all day. She lives on beautiful Bear Island. She gets out every day for a walk. And she said, actually, when she listened to Joe's comment, she said, I'm currently mopping my kitchen floor. So we're not all sitting down all day watching uh, TV. And someone else says, whoever that person Joe is saying, 
pensioners sit around all day watching TV. Well, I'm a pensioner and I'm actually still working. I've worked all of my life since I'm 14. So that person is wrong. Hi, Patricia. Read the complaint to us about us old ones getting our free TV licence, etc. It's a pity to have to remind Joe that we paid for his free education, his children's allowance, etc. I've done this with pleasure and with the hope that a well-educated population would appeal to companies to invest here, etc. We pay taxes at a very, very high rate also down through the years. It takes a bit of effort to improve people's lot. Give us a break now, will you? And be like a good young man, says this texter. And someone else says, I am an old age pensioner. I'd just like to point out, you don't get the TV licence until you're 70. Someday, can you please remind Joe that Joe will be old. And that comes in from John. That's just a sample of some of the reaction to Joe's uh, comments. 0818 103 103. Lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. This evening, Anam Cara will host their West Cork meeting in the Fernhill House Hotel in Clonakilty at 7.15. Anam Cara is for all bereaved parents from the West Cork area are welcome regardless of the age their child died or the circumstances of the death. No need to register. You can just arrive into Fernhill House Hotel at 7.15. If you'd like more information, you can go online, anamcara.ie. Shambali Moore Bingo is on tonight at 8. That's in the community centre with a jackpot of €2,500 in 46 calls or less. Everyone, welcome to Shambali Moore and they value your loyal support. And the Bear Island Arts Festival runs from this Thursday 21st to the 24th of September with an art exhibition, daily lectures, uh, theatre with Pinsula players, photography workshops and much, much more. And there'll be a lecture by Tony Harper, MA, on the origin of Middleton College, a family affair that's at half seven in Cloyne Cathedral. Tickets are €10 euro and they will be available at the door or you can get them on Eventbrite. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. I can still see a huge, huge amount of uh, commentary coming in about uh, the way people are driving on our roads. Somebody's saying, for example, road safety should hands-free phones uh, be allowed? How can people be concentrating even if they're speaking on the phone to somebody else? They've got to be uh, distracted. Hi, Patricia. So somebody else, the SUVs and the school traffic needs to be addressed if we want to protect the environment, the pollution and the congestion at all of our schools is uh, shocking. Surely that's unfair unfair on people who have to be on the road like delivery drivers, etc. And someone else says, hi, Patricia. Paul Kavanagh, who you spoke with earlier, is correct. A lot of danger on our roads is down to lack of respect and bad manners. Also on the car-free streets that is going to happen in Cork for the first time on Saturday. What about people that need to be close to a business? People who need to get doctors' services in the city. Cars will always need to have access uh, for what about deliveries, etc. Thanking you so can't see it becoming a permanent feature in the uh, city centre. Okay, this is some of the many, many texts and comments we have coming in. But I want to go to the phone line uh, because Mary Newman, who we often speak to about camogie on the programme, uh, joins me on WhatsApp. Uh, Good afternoon to you, Mary. 
Good afternoon, Patricia. How now, are you? I'm very well. This is in regard to your young niece, who I take it is a big camogie fan herself, is she? Yeah, it's Ellie May. Sure, you probably know Ellie May well. She's always with myself for film. She's okay. she's nearly one of the commentary team at this stage. Okay, important team because she's everywhere. And yeah, she plays camogie uh, with our own club, Glen Rovers, of course. Um, and she's actually my granny's. She's my niece's daughter. And um, yeah. Uh, no, so went she, over she went her, for a weekend. Was it just a weekend to Manchester? They were over. No, they're, they're Paul, her dad. Um, his parents live in Blackpool. So they went over uh, last Tuesday for a few days to okay. visit the granny and granda for a birthday. And um, her Ellie May and her little sister and brother and her parents. So what they normally do, they normally either fly to Liverpool or Manchester. And then you go down, you know, the train goes about two hours down into Blackpool. So they went off. Um, checked in at Cork Airport last Tuesday and did what they always do. She brings her Harley, the Harley is an extension of the hand, and took the Harley with her. The girl in Cork Airport was lovely. Aoife said to her, you know, is this, oh, fine. She said, no problem, that will go in with the buggy. I'll give you a little bag to wrap it in. Um, and she said, take this little bag. She was like, it's a see-through plastic bag. Yeah. And use that coming back as well. There'll be no problem because, you know, she's done it several times. She's taken, she actually, in April, they went in, Cork Manchester again. She took the Harley with her. It wasn't even wrapped in April. Went in with the buggy, came out at the other end. Happy days. She had the Harley for the week over practicing and training and showing all the grandest friends her skills. And um, they got to Manchester yesterday to check in for their flight. And they put the buggy up and put the little bag with the Harley. And the girl just said, What's this? And what's this? That's a bat. And Paul said, No, it's a Harley. And they explained like Irish game. You know, um, we brought it out on Tuesday from Cork. No problem. We've done it several times. No, it's not going on. It's 60 euros sterling to take it. So they kind of looked at him. They said, it's a child's Harley. It's for playing games. No. So they were adamant. So then they went away and then they came back and they came back down to, thir- oh, we, it's 35.99 sterling. And they still said, no, we don't. You know, we're never charged for it. She always brings it. She's brought it to Lanzarote. She's brought us to, to Blackpool several times via Liverpool or Manchester and brought it back. She always brings her Harley. There is never a problem with a Harley, her Harley going through. It's wrapped. It's going in with the buggy. No, no yeah, way. Okay. It, it, it wasn't that she wanted to bring it on the actual plane. Oh, that, no, you no, know, no. Where, it was where going some into people the would say, baggage, that, yeah. yeah, this would be a weapon. She was putting it into yes. the cargo hold where all the... the with the buggy. With the luggage goes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with the buggy, in with the buggy. It's usually, she, what they usually do is they fold down the buggy and they put the Harley on top and they just probably tie it. Yeah, and it comes out with and the buggy it then, yeah. It comes out with the buggy. Yeah. Never, ever a problem. So they were very adamant. So they asked to speak to somebody in charge who, of course, was in a meeting. They couldn't speak to them. So they waited and waited and waited. And then eventually some guy came out and he said, um, no, I will say, like both her parents and even the child told me they were very rude and very, you know, they were not helpful, like in comparison to the lovely staff in Cork, which were absolutely amazing, despite they having a nine hour delay going out. Like they had already had a nine hour delay going out last Tuesday with three kids. And now oh. they have this, this hassle coming home. Like all you want to do is come home. But like it was up appalling and like the thing about the Harleys she absolutely loves this Harley and only last week she said to me 
when that gets a little bit too small for me now, I want the same hurley. So if we can get the same one weighed, because you know that's what sometimes they do if you're getting a hurley made. Yeah. Like hurlers now or camogie players are familiar with what I'm talking about. You can get, you can, you know, go to, we say Ben O'Connor, because I know Ben, Ben has made hurleys for her down in Newtown. So big shout out there to Ben. Um, so like we could have, if I would give the hurley to Ben, Ben would weigh it and he'd probably make the hurley maybe one or two sizes bigger. But she loves the hurley and loves the grip on it. She absolutely, it's her, like, yeah, she has another few hurleys, but this is the hurley. This, she's actually glued onto it and she loves it. So what was, so the, the, child what was, was the outcome? Upset. What was the outcome? Oh, no, like her mom said then, like they were kind of said well, they were going to pay it and Paul said no as a matter of principle he wasn't paying it and he was right because why like should you pay that to bring the child's Harley home when she took it out on the flight last Tuesday no charge strapped onto the buggy into the hold like it's not as if it's like I get it if you were to pay for golf clubs or if I was taking out 20 Harleys to start a hurling team out in London yeah but one child's hurley strapped onto her brother's buggy, going into the hold where it came out last week to Manchester. No way would they take it. They were adamant. And they then they had said, even if we take it, you must go down the terminal to the different terminal, which was a 25-minute walk down and back. And you must get it bubble-wrapped and come back to me. So that was 50 minutes with three small kids, walk down through all the airport and walk back again and maybe miss your flight. Yeah, no, you're not because going to Because even, gonna they wouldn't even small take it in the bag. Yeah. Yet, they took it coming out. So where, just where's, appalling. where's the hurley now? Well, the guy took it. He wouldn't, he refused to let it on. He kept it. So, her parents, like, asked him, they wanted a receipt for it, and they asked him, oh, yeah, he wouldn't give them his name then. He said he gave them his Christian name. So they asked for his surname, and he refused. He would not give his surname. And they just asked him for a receipt and get him to sign it to say that they have it, because Paul said, like, that's our property and you're taking it. So it's now somewhere in Manchester. So I just said, maybe Mike Lullieri wants to start. Maybe Man City are going playing hurling, and maybe he's starting a team. Yeah, and I know, I yeah. know. We we checked on on Ryan on Ryanair, and they are you know they are adamant that they they deem it a blunt instrument, and that it must be carried in the hold as checked in luggage. Yes, and that's not what's but in dispute what here. That's yeah, what that's, doing. that's not what's in dispute here. They're trying to say that you should pay, even though you've never been charged. This little girl never been charged. And it's, yeah. not, and it's, never a charged. it's a child's Harley, so it isn't even a full-size adult Harley. No, no, yeah. I think it's a 28, if I'm right, it's a yeah. 28. And how, like is, it's is, a she, is, she heart, is she heartbroken? Yeah, very upset. Gone to school this morning, very upset. And like, understand, she said to her mum and dad, don't pay that because that's just, that's not right. But she is, she's upset, she's training tonight, she has a Harley, she has loads of Harleys. But she's upset this over the floor and yeah. the, the big fuss that was caused yesterday and the, her small sister crying because this was all going on and your man was giving out to them. And like, and I hate to say it, I hate like. to say it, Mary, but Ryanair really don't care when it comes to things like this. They don't care. You and know, I just said that really Michael O'Leary is supposed to be an Irish man. Here he is charging a child of 11, 60 euros sterling. To take sixty Harley pounds, out, bring it Which, home. By the way, how much would it cost to get a new Harley? Roughly, I would say about twenty. I think twenty euros, fifteen yeah, to twenty it's, euros. So it's even more. But if you're getting it, if you're getting it made to weight and size, and you're you're yeah. getting like, I mean, listen, we know she's not Patrick Horgan or whatever, but listen, all the girls do it. A lot of our girls up in our club, they like some kids love the. You know, they know what they want. Yeah. Poor kids don't yeah. give a damn about yeah. size early. Okay. But she does. Okay. She loves and nothing, nothing, nothing back from Ryanair yet? 
lots of things. Now, you saw Finbar's tweet yesterday. I did, yeah. They, um, yeah, they sent him Finbar a load of messages asking for the flight number and all that. He gave it. They asked for his phone number. He gave it. They rang him. A guy took brief details. I'll be back to you in 20 minutes. It's a long 20 minutes because it's 20 to 1 today now on Tuesday. Nothing. And they haven't rang him back. All right. Yeah. Let, let us know. Will you let us know if, so if will, they do yeah, come back yeah. to you? And listen, um, I, I feel so sorry for little Ellie May, particularly when it's a favourite Harley. It's it's very unfortunate. Yeah. Well, or, we might start um, a free, 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 the, free, the, free the Manchester <laughs> Harley group. All right. Mary. But you know, you know, it, it's just awful. Like, it's unfortunate. Say, supposed to be a, a proud Irish man. <laughs> yeah. Give right. me a break. All right. Listen, we'll talk again, Mary. Thank you for that. Thanks, and uh, Patricia, and uh, for highlighting No you. problem. And a word of warning to everyone. Be very careful with the uh, Ryanair. When they have terms and conditions, they, uh, they can really abide by them when they want to abide by them. Joe Heffernan uh, joining us. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And, and my goodness, we're nearly at the end of September. This year seems to be flying uh, by and you yeah. can already see a change in the weather. And I mm. even noticed, you know, in the mornings, like they're darker, the evenings are getting darker. And of course, we're coming into that time of year uh, for a condition called SAD, Seasonal yeah. Affective Disorder. And yeah. I, I suppose start with um, the symptoms and, and how it differs from, say, depression. Well, it's very alike with depression, you know. It can cause problems like with social withdrawal, work problems, maybe substance abuse, anxiety, comfort eating, uh, difficulty concentrating, uh, bad old feelings of hopelessness, um, uh, you know, uh, weight loss, weight gain, um, disturbed appetite, disturbed sleep. Uh, People who live far from the equator like us, um, either north or south, um, have less sunlight in their winters, as we all know. And this can mean a higher risk of SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. What happens, Patricia, is that the the biological clock, um, or I think the correct pronunciation, or circadian rhythm mm-hmm. is upset. There's the reduced level of sunlight can upset the body's internal clock and lead to feelings of depression because serotonin, a brain neurotransmitter levels may drop and this can affect mood. Less sunlight can cause a drop in those serotonin levels leading to low mood. Melatonin levels may drop, causing a disruption in sleep pattern and mood. So this is real. And and for many people, this is... um, uh, a reality that uh, that isn't the least bit pleasant and um, uh, can cause a, a, a lot of, of problems. Yeah, um, and I think, you know, when you, seasonal affective disorder and the acronym is, is SAD. And, and I think SAD is a good way to sum it up because anyone I've ever spoken with or interviewed uh, who get affected by this disorder will literally say that, that they just feel very sad, very down. Yeah, and and, the, and you know, and a sense of sadness that they can't shake off. Absolutely, um, you know, feeling down most of the day, every day, uh, losing interest in activities, even watching an old favourite thing on the telly, um, uh, low energy, uh, as we said earlier, disturbed sleep, difficulty concentrating, feeling fairly hopeless. Um, you know, and and um, 
uh, and, and wondering what is after happening to me. I really don't feel well. Um, and does it come on to does it come on gradually, Joe? Do you know from the people I you've dealt with? Um, that, uh, I think that I suppose it goes with the with the deepening of the dark season. Mm. That um, you know that at the moment now there might be inklings of it. Uh, of course, naturally, everyone is an individual, and those who unfortunately suffer from SAD will have a different. Um, uh, take on it as to uh, when it can strike in the in in the, in the winter time, and um, uh, you know uh, it needs to be talked about. It needs to be talked out. Um, it might be uh, the usual combination of a visit to the GP and um, maybe um, psychotherapy uh, in conjunction with that. Maybe. Um, maybe uh, uh, an antidepressant would be um, recommended. But there was a person I was talking with some years ago, and they were engaging with a thing called phototherapy. No, that simply meant a light box. Yeah. And these light boxes are available. They're placed on the work desk or a place that suits the person uh, to use it. Um, uh, you know... Uh, it's often it is suggested that it be used at the beginning of the day, maybe for twenty or thirty minutes. Uh, soon, anyway, after waking, what it does, Patricia, is it mimics natural outdoor light, and it fools the brain into producing the chemicals that are linked to mood, and that are depleted by the lack of sunlight. Um, so it's used apparently quite regularly. Now, I haven't come across it in my own work quite a lot, but I have come across it. And um, uh, I, I specifically remember one person who was using what they call a light box, and they found that it was extremely helpful. And that compared with the winters before they had it used it, um, uh, you know, it was making a big difference. Um, yeah, I, I, I certainly have a, a friend of mine who in, in the UK who uses, has been using one for a number of uh, right. years and uh, it comes out around about now, around about mid-September. She'll start yeah. setting up her light box and she'll use it right through until uh, the the spring and she yeah. finds it ex- in, incredibly good. Now, it's not going to work for everybody, but it does, there is evidence there that it does work for a lot of people. There is indeed. My own bit of research on it would suggest that too. Um, uh, now, one has to be careful. I mean, it isn't just any light. Um, it should be made specifically to treat SAD and it should produce as little UV light as possible. Um, you know, 20 to 30 minutes uh, at the start of the day, 16 to 24 inches from the face, and the eyes open but not looking directly at the light. Now, the the more natural light then would be that a person who um, encounters SAD, uh, to get as much natural um, light as possible. In other words, like um, where the weather permits um, a walk, we'll say around um, ar- ar- around midday, when when whatever bit of sun is available um, would be available at that time. 
and we're often um, we're often under the impression that um, on a cloudy winter's day, like that, there's no sun. But of course, there is because that's what gives us the light of day. Yeah, so, yeah, so to a try, walk try, yeah, trying you're and in the good stuff. Yeah, and you're and you're you're killing two birds with one stone because you're getting a bit of exercise at the same time. Somebody yeah. wants to know: Can SAD go on to lead to full blown depression if untreated? Well, it would have all the um, it would have all the uh, the symptoms of the full depression, but the usual thing, just like your friend in the UK, is that um, you know things get better um, come the spring and come the beginning of summer. Um, so it, it usually wouldn't be a year-round phenomenon, but of course that doesn't alleviate the fact that there's a long time there between. October, November, December, January, February. Um, that's a long time to be feeling down. So, like, anything that helps um, would be most welcome. And uh, uh, that's interesting that your friend actually uses a light mm. box and has praised it in that yeah. it helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And but, but I suppose the main point to get across today is don't ignore these symptoms. And, you know, it isn't go speak to a GP uh, you know, because this thing of, oh, snap out of it, you'll be fine. But, you know, it's it's to reach out if you are feeling these symptoms. Absolutely. And it can help greatly to just be able to put a name on it, to say, oh, wait a minute now. I, I heard um, about this SAD and maybe that's my problem. And now that I think about it, it's each winter when the dark days um, or the, the short days um, come, uh, that this uh, seems to get me. So that would be helpful that a, a person, um, you know, could uh, could put a name on it. And um, once we once we can identify what's wrong, well, we can we can look it up and we can talk to um, the GP, etc., about it. And um, and 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 that would help. And maybe there's many a listener who hasn't heard of these light boxes. Mm. Um, you know, um, I, I didn't know that they existed until I was talking with that person many, many years ago. And they, um, and they've certainly become more popular in the, in the last number of years, I think, with right. the more science uh, behind them. OK, yeah. all right. Listen, uh, thank you for that, Joe. Have a lovely week and get out and about as much as we all can when the rain uh, moves away. But we'll talk to you again yeah. next Tuesday. Okay. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Uh, that Thanks. is Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Bohapui. His number is 086 That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. And we'll be back with you for Wednesday's edition of the programme at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.